podcast that is the Piggy to your Kermit, the Smithers to your Mr. Burns, the Kanye to any image of Kanye in even a moderately reflective surface. I'm Mark. I'm Brent, and today's guest is the Bosha. Hey, Jim. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. So, Jim, you are probably known to most of Twitter as, I think, a rather a stalwart member. You've been on Twitter for a long time. And people probably know that you do at least some performance and comedy. But you do uh, do storytelling, right? I have done a little bit uh, under duress. <laughs> I don't shrink from performance. The stage fright is, unfortunately, perhaps not one of the many frights I suffer from. But I'm not a performer. But you were so. recently in the... Were you in the West Side Slam recently? That? I see you guys do your homework. <laughs> It wasn't exactly recently. I, I, I suppose it was much more than a year ago, though. So much more recently, as in last weekend, was uh, tricked into doing another one. So <laughs> there'll be a more recent one up. And um, So the story slam yeah. stuff that you do, is it kind of like the moth? Yeah, I've you know attended the occasional moth performance in New York City. And, you know, that's great and cool. But, you know, I live in a smaller community outside the metro area. And, and God bless them. I love local arts people, small town troops that, you know, do theater. And it's hard to not contribute when asked, you know. So, but that that's about it. I, I've so what I, what I did find online, and yeah, I did, did a little poking around because Google is, you know, very convenient that way. I found a story about a childhood discovery of what he believed to be a human soul in the burn pit behind his family's funeral home. Would you please elaborate on that? That just sounds too good. My family has been in the funeral business over a hundred years. My great great grandparents got here relatively lace curtain Irish and had two choices, uh, work in the mines or bury those that died in them. <laughs> and they, they chose the latter. And it, it was quite a booming business at the time. Lots <laughs> of dead people. And, and you know, so a, a family dynasty was born. Currently, there are two, I think at its peak, there were three uh, different family funeral homes. And I was really uh, raised in one of them the first few years of my life when my parents were a young couple uh, just starting out saving money and all that stuff for their own home because you know my grandparents home was very large uh, large enough to accommodate another small family without people needing to bump into one another and I remember as a little kid you know my, my friends thought he's rich because it was this huge home with impressive white pillars and nothing but Cadillacs as far as the eye could see. <laughs> no, that's that's not rich. That's the business. And even after we moved out, my immediate nuclear family had moved away by the time I think I was in kindergarten. We left there and, and uh, my parents got their own place. But that was still the dumping ground for my cousins and I. And large Irish family, I had cousins by the truckload. And it, it was a place where 
uh, we were babysat, I suppose, and, and could play. And absent a backyard with uh, things like monkey bars or a swimming pool, we had things like the old stables uh, filled with uh, coffin boxes. N- not actual coffins, mind you, but, but the wooden boxes the coffins came in. Okay. Things like that to play with for a macabre childhood. And out back in those times, everybody had a burn pit. Uh, in the fall, all the leaves were raked into it and burned. Uh, the garbage was burned on a weekly basis. And the burn pit was a cement sort of cinder block affair, perfectly circular, if I remember it correctly. But, you know, above ground by about three feet, it was just one of the things we did was hop up on it and walk around it. And it was a it was a good circumference. One time, my cousin he and I were playing in the backyard, and that involved the climbing around that that very burn pit wall. And I was looking down into it and saw something that you know had uh, just a perfectly spherical quality to it. You don't often look into the remnants of toasted garbage and and see something that geometrically perfect. Right. And it got our interest going, and I remember thinking it was like a small earth, difference being that where there would be blue in that famous shot of, of the blue marble, it was purple, hmm. and like purple and, and white. And at the time, we, we were small boys whose heads were full of Vatican magic. It was a religious <laughs> community, very old-school Irish Catholic family, we knew in some vague way, we were far too young to get our version of the talk, which is what Grandpa and the uncles did for a living. So we just sort of knew that they had some responsibility for the care of the deceased and ushering them with dignity towards the next stop at the Curly Gates. And we knew a lot of this took place in this mysterious back room that we were not allowed to go near which was actually what's called the prep room. We had our own childish ideas of what could possibly happen to dead people back there between the time they arrived from either their homes or the hospitals and suddenly appeared wearing full makeup in a suit. Uh, It was my first introduction to drag. Uh, (laughs) So so we didn't know what was going on. It It was somewhere between all the high magic that we were subjected to at church and catechism and the monster movies that we, you know, (laughs) sneak peeks of that we weren't supposed to watch late at night. So I decided that this was a body part that had not been disposed of properly because the Egyptians were involved in this sort of thing, we knew. And this must be something that got away, but it didn't look like any body part. Body parts were gross. They were amorphous and you know, red and... and not not as perfectly like, spherical and not uh, not as purple? That's right. This didn't look like anything you'd find at the, the meat counter. <laughs> so we grabbed an umbrella from the back deck and did what little boys do is they, you know, you poke at something. <laughs> and I announced uh, to my cousin, this is, uh, this is a soul. This is a human soul. Given the gravity of the situation, we had to find a grown-up, and we did, and that was my grandmother, and she came out and investigated against her will. <laughs> um, did, did you tell her what you had found, or or did you say, we found something odd? I, it, it, 
you know, Grammy, you, you have to come see this. It's something that we found, and, and we really need you to take a look at it, and we think it's important. She was a woman of few words, but all of them were swear words. <laughs> so she, she allowed us to drag her out there, and she burst out laughing, uh, honestly losing her dentures as a result. She was already well into her 80s at this point. When we said that there was a soul in the ash pit. And she, a soul? Well, what the heck? Are you, you know, what are you killing? It's not, you know. She, she looked down and we pointed solemnly to the soul. She fell apart laughing and she said, it's a goddamn cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. It was a cabbage that had somehow... Um, been neglected at the bottom of the refrigerator. It had outlived its usefulness as food and was just tossed into the garbage. And when the garbage was burnt, because of its moisture content, it resisted the flames the way a witch did. And there it was. Well, it's a nice symmetry. Oh, that noise (laughs) means that I think Brent is going to ask you some Twitter-related questions. Brent? Jim, what's your proudest Twitter moment? One that comes to mind, and I hate mentioning specific names because it just means there are a thousand other specific names you're not mentioning. They know. But they know. Yeah, this was a confluence of not just who, but when. Uh, it was Christmas Eve, 2011 or 2012. I was at a, a family gathering and had left the table to... I sneak a smoke or something, and I checked my phone, and there was a, a Twitter alert. Out of nowhere, period on Christmas Eve, you know, Santa tearing overhead, the salt followed me. Nice. All right, yeah. That was a big thrill for me that, like, a lot of Twitter thrills can't be shared with anyone because uh-huh. they just look at you blankly. Yeah, they don't get it. <laughs> so who's your biggest or neatest follower? Would it be the salt? Um, he's certainly up there. I'm perplexed and gratified at the number of really talented, wonderful people who are professionals in the world of comedy who do follow me. And every once in a while, to be honest, I'll, you know, I'll see them in a the timeline and I'll check because I think they can't possibly still be following me. <laughs> and then, you know, when they are, I just think, well, of course, they have me muted. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'm a bad person and I can't have anything. <laughs> I assume everyone has me muted, so it's a, it's a plus when I find out otherwise. I have you muted. I knew that one yeah, for a fact. Right. <laughs> and in, finally, in closing, give us one underrated tweeter that you think everybody should be following, or two, or three, whatever you want. Maya, who likes you, Let's Maya see. Saint, is a young med student. He's tremendously clever person, I believe underfollowed. And, and another one uh, would be Laet Poe. L-A-E-T-P-O. He is in Argentina, and he's just this really fascinating man. He's an older man. I believe he has some years on me and not many on Twitter do. <laughs> But he's a really funny person. But beyond that, he's he's better than he, he's not one dimensional. He's not trying to be a comedian. 
Uh, he's, he's just a really interesting file. It's something different for your timeline. Okay, I'll definitely check him out. That's it for me. All right, Jim, thank you very much for your time. Hey, you're very welcome. All right, this has been Tweeters in 12. I'm Mark. I'm Brent. And we'll see you next time. Come on. Woo! Yeah.